amen as you're grabbing your seats. Get your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 6. We'll be in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32 this morning. Before we go there, just a reminder, we're in a brand new sermon series on spiritual disciplines. Um, And so last week we talked about what I said was the most significant of all the disciplines, which is Bible intake. And we said it's most significant because all of the other disciplines that we find out about in God's Word. And so um, we started there, right? We built the foundation of, of disciplines in our life being the need to have God's Word saturate our lives, right? So now in week two, we're going to talk about a topic that we don't talk about a whole lot, and it's uh, solitude and rest, right? Solitude and rest. And anybody in the room feel like you just need some rest? Anybody? There's only like three people worn out here. Yeah, there we go. I, I was going to say, you guys are just, you're like, we're so exhausted we can't raise our hands. Okay. Awesome. But uh, we know that we need it, right? I, I think everybody in the room knows that you need rest, that you benefit from solitude of being alone with the Lord, right? It's just, it's just not really how we operate, though. It's not even how uh, culturally we've been trained, right? Like in our culture, we've been trained that you go hard at all times, right? Like, like you work hard and then you play hard and you fill your schedule with, with a plethora of activities and, and opportunities. You say yes to everything and eventually uh, you just run yourself completely out, right? When you run yourself completely out, you finally uh, wake up one morning and you go, listen, you know what we need? We need a vacation, Right, and so you've worn yourself uh, completely thin, and, and now you're you're hoping uh, that a vacation uh, will be everything that you need to let you feel restored and rested. And uh, you really know that that's probably not going to work, right? I mean, the whole idea is just kind of silly that you'd work all spring long just to get to the summer, and that one week in Cancun is going to make all the difference. It's still going to be fun, probably have a lot of delicious food to eat and all those types of things, but it's probably not going to accomplish what you're hoping it will accomplish. In fact, I ran across a quote in a book that I read recently. Uh, The author's name is Kerry Newhoff. The book's called At Your Best, and in there he has a quote that just jumped off the page at me, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. He says this, time off won't heal what time on is causing. Time off won't heal what time on is causing. And so the whole premise of this is that you can't find rest and full restoration right in, in, a, in a small little a vacation if the real problem is what's going on on a day-to-day basis, right? And so that's what I would say for us there, that the problem is that we have the wrong solution, right? Uh, the vacation can't fix what our bodies and our minds are telling us we really need, all right, so that's what I want us to think about this morning as we go to this text. A better solution to our being run down is actually regular and rhythmic practice of solitude and rest, right? So we're going to talk about what it means to uh, experience solitude or go to solitude, what it means to truly find rest in Jesus Christ this morning, what the Bible says it actually looks like, and when, when we should expect it. And I would say, again, regular and rhythmic, and ultimately, the ultimate goal would be that you experience this on a daily basis, okay? And so we're going to pray this morning, and then we're going to jump into Mark and see what God's Word has to say about rest. Father, we thank you so much, God, for your word. Lord, we thank you for the challenge that we find in it. God, I just I thank you for uh, 
these reminders, God, of these disciplines. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us to uh, be honest this morning. God, I pray that we would evaluate our lives, God, and I pray that we would uh, look at what we've been uh, trying to provide ourselves as solutions to uh, being run down all the time, God. And I pray that you'd help us to understand what the best solution is, and that's time alone with you. And so, God, I pray that you'd use it, God, to, to give us true rest, to restore our souls, God. And I pray that we would walk away this morning understanding that these are good and profitable things, God, and they are worthy of putting into practice in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, join me this morning in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 30 through 32. And again, as I said the, uh, to the first service this morning, last week, you know, we covered uh, Bible intake. There's a lot of verses on Bible intake that we didn't get to. Um, we're not going to be able to cover all of them on rest this morning, but I'm going to try to give you uh, the best idea from Scripture that I possibly can on what Scripture says about rest. But I love this story, and I wanted to start here because... I just love the way that, that Jesus recognizes our need for rest in his disciples. So let me read this for you and we'll unpack the text this morning. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, when you first read this story in verse 30, it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And so it seems kind of uh, strange that Jesus' response to this is, hey, we should go be by ourselves and we should rest a while. If you don't understand the context, it leaves you with more questions. But if you go back earlier in Mark chapter 6, you'll see in verses 7 through 13 what the disciples were out doing. Jesus had sent them out in groups, right, to go out and do ministry. So he sends them out two by two and he says, listen, I grant uh, you authority over all things. And so they can cast out demons, they can heal people and they're out doing all kinds of unbelievable uh, ministry for them. In a sense, Jesus sends them out on a mission trip of sorts, right? And so he comes back, when they come back, he can see it in their eyes, right? Like these guys are, they're worn out, right? And so your first point on there is this, that the disciples were physically, mentally and spiritually wrung out, right? And so Anybody in here ever been on a mission trip before? A couple hands in the air. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know that feeling. You know the feeling of having the incredible week and feeling at the same time like you could go to sleep for three days straight, right? You are just worn out. You're physically depleted. You're mentally war exhausted. You're, you're spiritually wrung out, right? Like you're, like you're almost on empty. And so good things and bad things can have uh, this impact on you. And so Jesus can see it and he knows that their greatest need in this moment is for them to go find some rest because Jesus knows what's coming in their future, right? And so that's so significant. In order for them to be able to accomplish all that he's called them to do, he's trying to establish a pattern for them where they would go and seclude themselves, be refilled so that they might continue in good ministry. But the disciples are physically, mentally, and spiritually wrung out. Not only have they just returned from this being sent out and experiencing all these incredible things, but we also find in the context of Mark chapter 6 that the beloved uh, John the Baptist has just been beheaded, right? So this is all the information and all the things that are going on in their life. Somebody they care a great deal about has just lost their lives and they just receive word of that. And even Jesus himself, as you know, is very, very close with John the Baptist and you guys know what that is like. 
Most of you in the room have experienced it at some point to receive news of somebody that you love and care a great deal about going on to be with the Lord and how that makes you feel, right? And these guys, are, these guys are emotionally run down. They're physically exhausted from the trip. Remember, Jesus sent them out. When he sent them out, he said, listen, don't take anything with you, right? And so these guys are having to find places to stay and find things to do to, to sustain themselves. They're physically tired. And then they're just, again, they're, they're spiritually wrung out because of everything that's going on in this situation. And so they've experienced the good and the bad here. And Jesus knows, listen, you guys need to go to a way and, 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 and be by yourselves for a while and rest. And so that's the second thing you see on your, your handout there is Jesus offers up a solution, right, to their, their problem. He says, let's go to a secluded place and rest. Let's go to a secluded place and rest. You know, Jesus knows this is good for us, right? In fact, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, when being challenged about the way his disciples are observing the Sabbath day, Jesus responds by reminding the Pharisees that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so God knows that this is good for us, right? This whole idea of rest, it's, it's good, it's profitable for us. Jesus knows that this is what we need. He knows that this is what the disciples need in this moment. And did you know that rest was God's idea? Rest is actually God's idea. That's how we know we have such a good, awesome God, right? Not only is God for work, but God is also for rest. In fact, both of those things we find pre-fall. You know that work and rest, neither of those are a result of sin entering into the world. Both are prescribed by God in Genesis chapter two, in fact. And, and let me show you this. He uses two words for rest. In Genesis chapter two, verse two, it says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. The word in Hebrew for rested there is where we get the word Shabbat or Sabbath, right? It's to cease from working, right? And so there's that idea of rest, that, that you were to work six days and, and rest on the seventh. There's a, to be a time in your life when you cease from work. But interestingly, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Scripture uses a different word for rest. And it says in, in that verse, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And that put him in the garden is translated in Hebrew as nuach, which is to abide or dwell, right? And so the two ideas that we have right out of the gate in the book of Genesis as it pertains to rest are ceasing and abiding, ceasing and abiding, right? You're gonna cease from physical activity and you're going to abide with the Lord. And again, these are good things for us and God knows that we need them. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You, you benefit from this. You, you profit from this, from ceasing from your work and abiding for the Lord, with the Lord. This is, this is good for you, right? In fact, Jesus regularly practiced solitude and rest himself. Jesus regularly practiced solitude and rest. Look at Luke chapter six, verse 12. It says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Luke chapter nine, verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and they went up on the mountain to pray. Mark chapter one, verse 35 and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed 
went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So Jesus regularly practiced solitude and rest, and he practiced it as an example to his disciples, right? And although we know in the New Testament, it's not about the letter of the law of observing a particular day for the Sabbath. It's resting now in the finished work of Christ. Jesus continues to demonstrate the heart of the law towards his disciples in this idea of ceasing and abiding, right? Ceasing and abiding. Now, it may not be, like I said, a particular day or an entire day and and it's really not for us to become legalistic about, but he still demonstrated for them this pattern of solitude and rest. And I want to emphasize the part of him praying, right? So it was the abiding part as well. So not just resting from his work. Jesus wasn't just going to find a hammock somewhere, although that's great and it's good for your physical and mental well-being. But there's a spiritual component to this as well that only comes through abiding, Right, and so sometimes that's with the word open. Sometimes that's that's praying. It's the idea of you know pray without ceasing. It's you're abiding with Christ, and that's what Jesus is demonstrating for his disciples. So why did Jesus practice solitude and rest as an example for the purpose of first physical recovery? Rest is good for you because of physical recovery. Have you ever just been there before? Like your your body's just like nope, not today. Have you ever had that happen? <laughs> you just feel so worn out and tired. You're like, listen, I just, like I said, I just need to go to sleep, right? Regardless of the time, I just need to go to sleep. I love that Pastor Chad over at LBC says all the time, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap, right? And I, and I, and I agree with him. It's so true. Like sometimes, sometimes it's not profitable for me or anybody that has to be around me if I don't put that into practice, right, for physical recovery. And so sometimes it's just, it's just about us getting physical rest, right? I think of practical things here with physical recovery, like, like something as silly as staying hydrated or going to bed on time. I don't know about you guys, but every single day, Aaron and I say, you know what we're going to do tonight? We're going to bed on time, right? Anybody else struggle with this? Like that, that on time, the, the goalpost just keeps moving, right? Like we're like, you know what? We're going to do it. 9.30 tonight, we are going to be in bed so that we can get good sleep and good rest so we can experience physical recovery like we need to. And then it's like 12.30 and we're like, should we stop watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine or one more episode, right? And so, and so we're not great at this, but this is why Jesus is demonstrating this for us. And this is the goodness of this practice, right, of solitude and rest, of, of ceasing and abiding. One is for just our physical recovery. Number two is this, our mental refreshment. Our mental refreshment. You've probably experienced this as well. You get so much on your plate, so many things going on in your life that you can't even keep things straight. Anybody else ever been there? Aaron and I were sitting on the couch Thursday night, and in a moment of panic, I looked to her really fast. I'm like, are we supposed to be somewhere right now? You guys ever had that happen? Like, you, you got so much going on in your life, like you can't even keep up with your own schedule, right? Like, that's not a good sign. That, that's terrible. But, but a lot of that's a result of not being mentally fresh, right? Like, you're just so bogged down. You, you can't keep up with all the things. And, and this is about fresh mental energy. So Jesus is demonstrating for us that this is good and profitable for the purpose of physical recovery, mental refreshment. And this is the most significant of them all, spiritual refilling, Spiritual refilling. 
Listen, I love this about Christ that he gives us this example. What does Jesus do? Jesus constantly pours himself out for others and he knows the only way that he can continue to do so is if he keeps going back to the source of more of that spiritual energy that he needs, right? And that's God. And so he's retreating and praying. He's ceasing and abiding. And if Jesus Christ needs to do this in a, as a regular practice in his life, you and I do as well. And so Jesus sees this in his disciples, not only a physical tiredness and, and, a, and, a, and a mental fogginess, but he, he knows that they're spiritually empty, right? Like I said, they just returned from a mission trip. They just returned from being sent out. And Jesus knows what you need more now than anything is, is spiritual refilling, right? Like we need to go away and be with the Lord so that we can continue to pour ourselves out, right? Because if you don't receive more refilling, then you're going to run on empty and then you're not going to be effective for the kingdom work. You're not gonna have anything left to give. And so that's why Jesus does this. He does it for the purpose of physical recovery, mental refreshment, and spiritual refilling. So here's the big question that I have for us this morning. How can we be more intentional about practicing solitude and rest in our lives? How can we be more intentional about practicing solitude and rest in our lives. And I use that word intentionally, right? Intentional, it means a lot, right? Because we have to be intentional, right? Or else if we have no plan, we're, we're, we're not gonna do well with this, right? There's not gonna be enough margin left. And so when we get into these practical things, I want you to fill this out. You've got plenty of blank space in there to write down a lot of this stuff. If something jumps out to you, you write it down. But the first step in this in a practical sense is, is create margin in your daily life. Create margin in your daily life. For so many of us, we're just so busy that we don't have any margin, right? And we all know what margin is, right? Like margin's like, look at this book right here, like this blank space around the outside, that's margin, right? That's, that's what's left over there, and that's good. Margin is good in your life, right? If you don't have margin and your life is just totally busy and chaotic all the time, that you're gonna struggle with this, and this is not gonna be good for you. So how do you know if you don't have enough margin? Well, let me give you a couple of, of things that you shouldn't ignore, really. These are check engine lights on your personal life, okay? So here's the first one. Are you always late or rushed? Always late or rushed? Because you've constantly got somewhere to be, something going on. Do you constantly feel overwhelmed and exhausted? You constantly feel overwhelmed and exhausted. For some of you, it's because you don't have margin. For others of you, it's because your parents, all right? So some of those just come hand in hand. But sometimes it is due to lack of margin in our life. Are you needing to schedule activities and opportunities weeks or months in advance? Listen, we're guilty of the same thing. But y'all, it shouldn't be so hard for us to even find time to go do dinner together. And yet our schedule, when we look at it, it's like, man, I don't know how much is left. Right? We, we, we've filled it with all kinds of things. It's never good when we say, listen, we can do something with you and we'd love to four weeks from tomorrow. Right? Do we have any margin? Last one is, do you feel like you can't take time off? You feel like you can't take time off. 
Like, like to actually take a day for solitude and rest. You, you feel like you can't do that, right? For some of you, you're this way at your jobs. Like, listen, we have these conversations all the time as a staff. Listen, you have PTO for a reason, and that reason is to not be here. So take your time off, right? Like, we need to do that. We need to chat. Some of you in the room, you're, you're guilty of the same. You, you've got PTO stacked on PTO, right? And, and you're constantly finding yourself saying, listen, I, I just don't have time to be off. That, that's not good. That means that these are some check engine lights in your life that you don't have a lot of margin, Right? So how can we be intentional with the, with the time that we do have, right? So intentionality. So how can we be intentional with the downtime we do have? Uh, this week I was fascinated to read, um, accord, according to uh, labor statistics in the United States, it says that the average adult has 26 hours of downtime per week. 26 hours. That might seem like a lot to you. Maybe it seems like a little. But once they take out your work week, all the hours you spend working and then the hours that you spend doing uh, normal household activities like washing dishes and mowing the yard and, and take out things like parenting and giving kids baths and all that kind of stuff, they basically come to this conclusion that the average American has 26 hours of downtime per week, right? The worst part about all their findings is that the average American fills more than half of those 26 hours of downtime per week with things on the television, right? And listen, the reason why that matters is because that's not rest, right? That's not rest. And so if we've only got 26 hours per week of honest downtime, then we've gotta be intentional with what we're putting into that downtime, right? So I've gotta be careful that I don't fill all of that downtime with binge watching something on Netflix, right? Nothing wrong with enjoying a show now and then, but we're talking about margin in our life. And if I've only got 26 hours to do whatever I wanna do in them, then I've gotta be careful that I don't fill more than half of them with things that have no eternal value, right? And so we, we've gotta be aware of that, be intentional with the downtime that we do have, which by the way, 26 hours turns into plenty of time for me to be able to practice solitude and rest on a daily basis in my life. That's plenty of time. That shows me if I've got 13 hours a week that I'm watching television and Netflix and I've got plenty of time per day to intentionally set aside, go to a place of solitude and spend that time with the Lord, right? So a couple of other practical things as it pertains to margin. The next one is this. Learn to say no to activities and opportunities. I said it. Learn to say no to activities and opportunities. And why does that matter so much? It matters because nothing is neutral. Nothing is neutral. Everything costs. Every time I say yes to something, that means I can't say yes to something else in my life. You've only got a set amount of time, a set amount of margin. And so I've got to learn to say no to activities and opportunities. Learn to say no, and this is where it gets really challenging. Learn to say no to good opportunities so that you can say yes to great ones. Okay, learn to say no to even good opportunities so that you can, we're, we're, we're good about saying no to things that don't interest us, right? 
that they don't seem profitable, that they seem bad, right? Like we can say no about that. In fact, this week I was asked by Kurt Smith, I don't know if he's in here this morning, he asked me if I wanted to wake up Saturday morning at 6 a.m. and go running with him and his running group. And I gave him a quick no, all right? And I felt bad about it, not at all, right? Those aren't the hard things for me to say no to, though. The hard things for me to learn to say no to are things that are still good, but they're not best for me and my family, right? And by the way, let me say something here. Lay down the guilt, mom and dad. It is your job at home to be the gatekeeper for your family. And your children will say yes to everything. And they will ask you for everything and beg you to participate in everything. It's your job to learn how to say no to opportunities and activities on their behalf so that you can help establish in their life this same pattern and the goodness of having time where we can just experience solitude and rest, right? So lay down the guilt. Uh, Avoid duplicates in your schedule, right? Something like, we were talking about good things, like Bible studies, right? Bible studies are awesome. If you're in 15 Bible studies during the week, though, you might be able to create some margin by eliminating some of the duplicates. And let me say a word here too, back to parents again. This isn't to try to beat up moms and dads today, but this is something that we don't do well and I think we just need to be reminded of. Duplicates also count with other things in your children's schedules as well, like sporting events, right? We have a policy at my house. You don't have to adopt it at your house, but here's our policy. You are allowed to participate in one activity at a time and that is it. So we encourage our kids to be involved in sports activities. We encourage our kids to learn instruments. We encourage our children to be a part of these things at school, but we limit them on purpose because we know it's for their best interest, right? So I have conversations with people all the time. You're trying to figure out how to make disciples at home, but you're struggling. Listen, it's because you have no margin. I've literally been in conversations with people as they're telling me that I just picked up my son from baseball practice. He's now going to karate, and this weekend he's got a soccer tournament. And I'm going, oh my gosh, my mind is exploding just hearing your story. How in the world could you as a parent have margin in your life with that kind of activities just for one child in your family? We've got five kids. How are we supposed to put that into practice? So it's my job to learn to say no to activities and opportunities. And last, but certainly not least under this subject, be okay with nothing to do. Let me just ask you this question. As a diagnostic for your family, when was the last time on a Saturday you had nothing to do? Nothing. We're going to sit around here at the house and do nothing. That's good for you. And it's profitable for you to be able to experience that. It doesn't have to be every weekend, but it's good for it to be occasional. All right? Next thing on there, under margin, last thing. Prioritize the commitments and activities that have eternal value. While I'm on this subject of learning to say no to activities and opportunities, let me just caution you against saying no to the wrong things, okay? I see this happen over and over again. What happens is families, they get busy. Their schedule is full. And you know what the first things we turn to to eliminate? The things with the most eternal value. We start saying ridiculous things like, well, they made a commitment to this team. Like that somehow trumps the commitment that you've made to the Lord? Listen, the first things that should go to create margin in your life are the things with the least amount of eternal value. If you are finding yourself 
eliminating things that mean a lot, church activities, to accommodate your busy schedule, you need to fix that and you need to repent. Next thing, take advantage of short retreats. Take advantage of short retreats. Listen, as I was thinking about this this week, I'm reading this story. I, I didn't read on in this story yet, but you know what happens as soon as they get to the other side? Let me read it for you. Verse 32, it says, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And so Jesus is like, listen, let's go into seclusion, right? Let's go into solitude for the purpose of rest, restoring our souls and our minds and our bodies, right? And guess what's waiting for them? Look at verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So the people beat them around to the other side. And so you know all they end up getting is the boat ride over. And you know sometimes that's all you and I get as well. Sometimes all we get is a short little reprieve, Right? Sometimes you don't get an entire day to do nothing. Sometimes you don't get a, a, a whole afternoon of, of solitude and prayer. Sometimes all you get in certain seasons of your life are these short little opportunities, right? And so what I'm saying is take advantage of those short retreats. For some of you, we talked about last week, for some of you, it's your commute home to and from work, right? For some of you, it's, it's in the driveway or it's at a stoplight. This is that idea of, of being with the Lord and praying without ceasing, right? And, and listen, when was the last time you drove home and you didn't listen to anything? I know last week I challenged you to listen to the Bible on your way home, but sometimes just try listening to nothing. Sit in silence, in solitude with the Lord. I'm, I'm gonna tell you this, it's uncomfortable. I tried it this week in my office you guys might be like me. Like when I study and read, if I do anything, I'm engaging some kind of media usually at all times. Like I'm listening to music play in the background. If you're my son, you somehow uh, video chat with your friends, watch YouTube videos and play Fortnite all simultaneously, right? So he gets a little bit of stuff going on too. But like, but like just the whole idea of just completely disconnecting even in these short little times of reprieve, like, like just sit in silence, and so in my office, I tried it this week. I set a timer, a three-minute timer. Y'all, that's your homework. Go try this. I'm in my office. I set a three-minute timer, and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna sit here in total silence. And I just about lost my mind in three minutes. It just, it just shows us that we've been so conditioned by the chaos and the noise and the activity and all of the stuff. And so we've got to learn to take advantage of these short little retreats. And so number three on there is get away for extended periods of time. So we've talked about capitalizing and taking advantage of the short little retreats. Like, like I said, maybe that's your lunch break or something like that at your commute home. Number three, we're talking more intentionality required, right? Like, like actually plan extended times away. And I would encourage you to try to change your environment, right? So this might look like you uh, going over to Lake Olathe and you just walking around Lake Olathe for an hour or, or half a day. What if you just wandered around early Miller praying to the Lord for half a day? When was the last time you've done something like that? 
just to disconnect, to, to walk away from the fray, right? And spend an extended period of time. In fact, Aaron and I were talking about this year. You know something, I'm ashamed to even say this, but something we wanna do that we've never done as a couple, we've never taken a spiritual retreat, just her and I. I'm not talking vacation, where it's all about us. I'm talking a spiritual retreat of us just disconnecting and going and being with the Lord, spending time in his word together and praying about the big things that we've got going on in our lives. And just that whole notion of disconnecting, right? And doing it for an extended period of time. Maybe you've never done that either. Let me encourage you to try to put that into practice. Maybe that's with you and your spouse. Maybe that's with you and your whole family. But that intentionality to think, man, how can we do this with the Lord? Number four, on the, along the same lines, be intentional about daily solitude with the Lord. Be intentional about daily solitude with the Lord. You might call this your quiet time or whatever, but this is just time with you and the Lord, Bible open or not open, you praying or not praying. Maybe you're just sitting there in silence, but it's intentional time with Jesus, right? And this is good and it's healthy for us because ultimately this is the kind of rest and restoration that we need is this type right here. In fact, I was encouraged this week. Pastor Brian, uh, a couple weeks ago, took the students to camp. And on Wednesday night, we were sharing uh, the results of that. And he was encouraging us as parents. And he said that one of the things that he was challenging the students with was the idea that God doesn't live at camp, right? God, God doesn't live at camp. But, but that's coming off the heels of them asking all these questions. Like, why does it seem like when we go away like this that we hear from the Lord more? And Pastor Brown was trying to connect the dots for him and say, listen, it's because you were intentional. You disconnected. You, you ceased and you abided. And not for an hour, but for a week. And you know what began to happen? Is they began to hear the Lord more clearly and more loudly in their life. And they began to long for that and, and want more of that, right? And here's the good news, is they can have more of that and so can you because God doesn't live at camp. You can experience this every single day, but it requires the spiritual discipline of solitude and rest, of ceasing and abiding. It's turning off all the stuff. They didn't have their cell phones for a week. How many adults in here wish you could, just, you could do that, right? Like, I wish I could. I just wanna turn it off and throw it out in a lake somewhere. They didn't have TV for a week. They got, they got away from all the distractions that this world has to offer, all the noise, all the fray and all that, and they went away and they ceased and they abided. And that's the most significant part. They didn't just go to uh, this camp and walk around and swing in hammocks. No, they, they went away and they were intentional about being with the Lord and God showed up and showed off in their lives. And I'm telling you that you and I have access to that same exact thing on a daily basis if we would be intentional about practicing silence and solitude. But it's gonna require some stuff of us. I said it's gonna require us create margin. It's gonna require some sacrifice. You've got to learn to say no. But if you would do this, I promise you it would be good and it would be profitable, not only for you, but for your entire family. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that, Lord, it, it teaches us and tells us all that we need to know about you. But, God, it also reminds us of the things that you've called us to do. And, Lord, I pray 
that as we continue to talk about these spiritual disciplines, Lord, that we would recognize that these are good and profitable things for our lives. God, you knew that we would need rest. And God, you knew that rest is a good thing for us. And God, you also know that we live in perpetual chaos. And God, you are inviting us in to your rest. God, that we might cease and abide. I pray, Lord, that this week that we would be intentional with that. God, that we'd be honest and that we'd evaluate our lives, God, and we would see if we need to make some adjustments. And God, I pray that you'd help us to know how to say no to things, even good things, so that we can be a part of the best things and the great things. God, I pray that we would be dependent upon you for everything, every day and every moment. And God, that we would seek your face and that we would abide in Christ and we would experience true rest that only comes from you. We pray this in Christ's name.